Good morning, everyone. How are you today? Good, I hope. As uh, Russ mentioned earlier, my happy task today to kind of help us get a little bit of focus on the purpose of our college. I want to emphasize one thing, first of all, and that is that it is our college. And you are as much, in a real sense, the possessor of this school as any of us who are on the staff or faculty or administration. It's really your school. We want you to take ownership of it in that sense. And because of that, because it is our school, we all need to understand what we're all about. We need to understand what our commitment is, what our direction is, what our purpose is, where we're going. And so with that in mind, we are going to spend some time looking at our purpose statement. Now, Russ read it to you earlier. You can't remember it, I'm sure. It went by real fast. But I want to just briefly touch base uh, with each of the elements in our purpose statement in the time that we have left this morning. And then uh, we'll follow up with a little more detailed look at it. First of all, it says, the Master's College exists to advance the kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ. That in itself would be a purpose statement with a period at the end of it that could comprehend everything we really intend to do. We desire to advance the kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ. That really puts things in perspective. We are not in the business of advancing education, although education is very important. We are not in the business of advancing the economic status of those who attend here and graduate. We are not in the business of advancing ourselves as people in positions of leadership who want to attain to a higher level of reputation or whatever. We are really here for one purpose. We are not trying to advance you along the social scale. We are endeavoring to advance the kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ. That is our focus. Now, in order to do that, we have to work with people because by God's own choice, the kingdom is advanced through the commitment of faithful people. So to back up from that purpose, we might say we are here to teach you how to be a vital part in the advancement of the kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ. And if you have any other purpose in mind, you're really not quite on target for what we're all about. In a sense, you have to see your life as expendable. You have to see your talents as expendable. The Apostle Paul really understood that. When he was on his way to Jerusalem in Acts 20, and the people that had uh, been with him for some time had been periodically warning him what he was going to face. They said, when you get there, chains and imprisonment await you. Uh, one prophet by the name of Agabus took off his belt and tied him up with it and said, that's what you can expect when you get to Jerusalem. Jerusalem will be hostile to you. Uh, you're liable to lose your life was the implication. He was warned again about that, I'm sure, by the urging of the Ephesian elders in Acts chapter 20. But this is what he said to them. He said, I do not count my life dear to myself. I have one desire, and that is to finish the ministry that has been committed unto me. In other words, I have no self-seeking motives. All I want to do is do what God has laid out 
for me to do. I do not count my life dear to myself. That means my own physical existence. That means my own ambitions and my own plans. Anybody who's ever participated on any kind of effective team in athletics knows a very basic thing is true of a winning team, of a great team, of a championship team, and that is that the individuals on the team have learned to sacrifice their personal goals for the good of the whole. That's just basic to being a winner. That's also basic to advancing the kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ. If in your own mind you have your personal agenda, and we all might have that, you have your own personal drives, ambitions, and goals, then everything else is going to have to serve those goals no matter what the cost. And that is counterproductive to that which God wants to do, where everyone sublimates their own goals for the good of the advance of the kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ. Do I need to add that uh, for anyone who names the name of Jesus Christ, that is the highest goal of life? Do I need to say that that's the only way to be blessed? That's the only way to be happy. That's the only way to be ultimately successful in life, to have a meaningful life, to know the fullness of the joy that only God can give through his spirit to those who obey that great purpose. When Jesus called his disciples to himself and equipped them and sent them, he taught them, it says in Acts 1, the things pertaining to the kingdom. Because that was going to be the substance of all their speaking and all their thinking and all their living until... The life that they had came to an end. So to begin with, we really need to search our own hearts and check in on our own priority list and our own agenda. And I need to do it as well as you. And I'm talking to myself equally and determine somewhere down the line whether our priorities are what they ought to be. Now, there can be all kinds of reasons for you being here. You might be here because your folks sent you here. You might be here because you really wanted to come uh, to uh, get a good education. And those are valid things. You might be here because you want to learn uh, uh, music. You, might, you want to learn some kind of scientific pursuit. You might want to learn languages. You might want to be here to prepare for the mission field or the ministry or to participate in athletics or whatever it might be. But all of those particular things have to come underneath this overarching commitment to advance the kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ so that everything filters down through that. And I ask myself the question, will my attitude today, will my action today, will my activities today, will everything I do and say and think, everything I'm involved in today somehow advance the kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ? What a grid to live your life through. That's really what we're after. That's the bottom line right here. We want to know that everyone is working together to advance the kingdom of our Lord Jesus Christ. And he is so worthy, is he not? He is so worthy. Now, how are we going to do that? We could say a lot more about that opening statement, and I'm sure we will as time goes on. But how are we going to do that? Let me give you the rest of what the statement says, just very briefly. First of all, by equipping men and women for excellence in service to him. The first thing that we want to do to make you effective in advancing the kingdom is to equip you to do that. In Ephesians chapter 4, we're perhaps familiar with a very important portion of scripture, one that's become a, almost a byword in my own life and ministry. It says that the uh, apostles and prophets and evangelists and pastors and teachers, or teaching pastors, whatever you prefer, are given to the church, and here's the word in verse 12, for the equipping of the saints. 
for the work of service for the building up of the body of Christ. Now, in order for us as individuals and collectively to advance the kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ, we have to be equipped to do that. Otherwise, we do it ineffectively or inappropriately or without maximum potential. So we are committed that if we're going to have you a part of advancing the kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ, we want to equip you for that. Now, let me say something about that. That means... That if our goal is primarily spiritual, if the goal is to advance the kingdom, that's a spiritual goal, then the process of equipping is primarily spiritual as, as well. So that you're not here, and I don't, wanna, I don't want you to be shocked by this, but you're not here primarily to get some kind of education. You are here to be shaped into a useful vessel for the advancement of the kingdom of Jesus Christ. That is your highest calling as a child of God. Education will fine-tune you to advance the kingdom in one or another dimension of life. If you're studying to be a teacher, education will equip you to advance the kingdom of Jesus Christ in the context of teaching. If you're a musician, music will assist you in advancing the kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ in the environment of music. If you're studying business, our prayer and desire and that of God as well is that you be able to advance the kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ in the dominion of business, economics, or whatever enterprise related to that field. If you're involved in sports, or if you're involved in studying history, or if you're involved in science, or if you're planning to, to go into the medical field, whatever it is, it is to mold you. You're here to be molded into a man or a woman of God who can advance the kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ with excellence in whatever field you're preparing to go into. That's the whole objective. But we must understand that education is the servant of spirituality. It is that which enables us to have a field or an environment in which our character can manifest the things of God. So the overall goal is to advance the kingdom. The goal that serves that is to spiritually equip you so that you can go out into whatever field of endeavor in life God calls you and advance his kingdom in that area. Now, when we talk about equipping men and women for excellence in the service of the Lord, we're really talking about developing your spiritual strength. Now, that involves a lot of things. First of all, that involves increasing your understanding of the word of God. And so while you're here, you will be learning the Word of God. If you're here in your first year, you know that you're going to have, and you've already started out today, many classes on the Bible and theology, biblical teaching. That's because that's where the priority lies. You must, if you're going to mature to godly character, have a foundation of knowledge of the Word of God. Also... To personalize that thrust and that goal and objective in the ministry here, we're going to provide for you discipleship so that you have accountability, so that you have a relationship in which spiritual growth is both monitored and encouraged. Because the main thing is to see you mature to Christ-likeness. There's no other objective, really. Paul said uh, to the Galatians in chapter 4, verse 19, I have birth pains until Christ is formed in you. I want to see you be like Christ. In our passage we just read, Ephesians 4, it says we are all to come to the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, 
unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. And John said in 1 John 2, 6, If we say we abide in Him, in Christ, we ought to walk even as He walked. We are to know and manifest the fullness of Christ-likeness. Paul, in writing to the Romans, says that we have been predestined, we have been elect, we have been set apart by God in eternity past in order that we might be justified, in order that we might be conformed in glory to the image of the Lord Jesus Christ. The goal of all of our Christian living is that we might be like Christ, and that is our spiritual goal as well. So. Whether it's in the classroom on Bible, whether it's in a discipleship ministry and relationship, whether it's through your involvement in a local church, which we expect and we require of you, and that's a biblical requirement, Hebrews 10, do not forsake the assembling of yourselves together. Whether it's through that, whether it's through the teaching and preaching of the Word of God in chapel, through your own private study of God's Word, your own devotional life, your own prayer life, your own ministry, all of those things are to come together to stretch you toward spiritual maturity, to make you like Jesus Christ. So many educational institutions are bent on the educational product. We are committed to the spiritual product. And education, as I said, is the servant of your spiritual development. So that's going to be the focus. The Master's College then exists to advance the kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ by equipping men and women for excellence in service to Him in strategic areas of ministry and vocation. Another phrase, through unreserved commitment to worshiping God. This is really a, sort of a lost reality in much of the church today. I, I'm happy to say there's a revival of this. I recently uh, read a new book that Warren Wiersbe just wrote on the subject of worship and in your leisure reading you would do well to read it. It's a tremendous treatment of the subject of worship and I really commend Warren for it. It helps the church grab on to, again to what is the heart of its existence. If you have a Bible with you, and I hope you do, if you don't, God have mercy on your sin sick shriveled up soul, come to chapel without a Bible. But if you have one, open to John 4 for a minute, would you? John chapter 4. And I just want to set something in your mind here. In John chapter 4, Jesus encounters a Samaritan woman. And this Samaritan woman has had a rather sordid background. Jesus uh, uncovers the reality that she is presently uh, living in adultery and she has had five husbands. So she has, to put it in the vernacular, been around. Jesus confronts her sinfulness, but he also finds out from this woman that she is not without some spiritual and religious sensitivities. She seems to be groping with trying to find a solution to her inability to live a life that's respectable. And she really would like to find out where the source of true worship is or how you really plug into God. The Samaritans, you know, were half-breeds, Jews who had intermarried with Gentiles and were the outcasts among the Jews. They had therefore no access to the temple and had developed their own worship system on Mount Gerizim in Samaria. Their system uh, was a very fervent kind of worship but lacked real biblical lines. And so they were a little bit askew as to the truth but very fervent in their, in their worship expression. She says in verse 20, Our fathers worshipped in this mountain. 
we have our religion here, it's our heritage here in Mount Gerizim. But you say that in Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. What she's saying is, where do you go to really plug into God? Our fathers tell us it's here, and you say it's there. And Jesus said, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you'll neither in this mountain nor yet at Jerusalem worship the Father. The hour is coming, he says, when it will become crystal clear to anyone who hears that the place is not the issue. Whether it's here or there is not the issue. He is saying the old covenant is going to pass away and the veil in the temple will be rent in twain and that whole system will be set aside. That will no longer be the issue. Then in verse 22, he makes an interesting statement. You worship, you know not what. What he is saying is you have uh, a lot of spirit in your worship, but you lack truth. We know what we worship. What he is saying there is we have the truth. However, they were very uh, indifferent and legalistic, and you might say they lacked the spirit. Salvation is of the Jews. The message of salvation has come to us. We have the truth. The, the obvious reality is that they lacked the spirit. The Samaritans had the spirit of worship. That is the energy and fervency, but they lacked the truth. And then in verse 23, he says, The hour is coming and now is when the true worshipers, that is the redeemed, will worship the Father in what? Spirit, what? And truth. In other words, with fervency and content, there is an hour when true worshipers are going to worship the way God wants them to worship. Now, follow verse 23 at the end. For the Father seeks such to what? To worship Him. And they that worship Him must worship Him in spirit and in truth. Now, listen carefully to what I say. The Father sent the Son into the world in an effort to seek true, what? Worshippers. The whole of the redemptive plan finds its fruition in the expression of worship and praise and adoration to God. And in the life of worship. That is why in Romans 12 it says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, on the basis of these mercies of God that have been demonstrated in the first 11 chapters, that you present your bodies, and the word present is a priestly word, you offer up your body as a what? Living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your act of spiritual worship. When God redeemed you through Jesus Christ, he redeemed you to be a worshiper. The most wonderful definition of a Christian I know is in Philippians 3.3. We are the circumcision, Paul says. That is, we are marked as those who worship God in the Spirit, have no confidence in the flesh, and rejoice in Christ Jesus. Isn't that great? We are the true worshipers. And the first act of worship is to present the soul in faith to God. That's the saving faith. The second act is to present not the soul, but what? The body. As a living sacrifice. Peter says that we are spiritual priests offering up holy sacrifices. And we've got to look at our lives as if we were priests. We are priests of the new covenant. And our objective as priests is to give offerings to God. First, we've offered our soul and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And then we offer our body as a living sacrifice. That incorporates our mind, which is constantly renewed. 
We offer our praise, Hebrews tells us, the fruit of our lips, even thanks unto God. Every fruit of righteousness in us is an offering to God. So the perspective in our Christian life, then, is one of worship. Now, let me say it in a simple way. You were not saved to cash in on getting things. You were saved in order to be in a position to give things to God. And that which he wants is your praise, your adoration, your body, your life, your time, everything you possess. You are a priest, and the function of a priest is to make offerings to God. That's the perspective that we want you to have. You serve God in offering yourself and all you are to Him. The next statement in our purpose statement says, the next phrase, the Master's College exists to advance the kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ by equipping men and women for excellence in service to Him in strategic areas of ministry and vocation through unreserved commitment to worshiping God then it says, submitting to the authority of the scriptures. Now, we believe in the inerrancy, the inspiration of the word of God. We believe that the faith once for all delivered to the saints is a comprehensive, complete and sufficient revelation. We believe that all scripture is given by the inspiration of God and is profitable to make the man of God or the woman of God perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. We believe that this is authored by the Holy Spirit. Holy men of God spoke as they were born along or moved by the Holy Spirit. And what we have here is not some human book, but literally the word of the living God. Every word of God is pure, the Old Testament says. And the end of the New Testament says you're not to add anything to it or take anything away from it. And we must have an unreserved commitment to the word of God. Now, how that fleshes out in our life together as a college is very simple. The objective here is going to be to have you recognize the authority of this book so that your life comes under this book. So that it's never a debate about whether or not the Word of God is authoritative. It's never a debate about whether or not you're required to submit to it. This is the Word of the living God, and it is binding on all of us. Jesus said, if you love me, you'll keep my what? My commandments. For those who love the Lord Jesus Christ, the deepest desire of their heart, as Paul expresses it in Romans 7, is to do the thing that is right, is to do the will of God. It's to love the law of God from the inner man, even though you're somewhat hampered by the flesh. And the objective then is to put everyone's life under the authority of the word of God so that wherever the word speaks, we act. So that in a classroom, there's never a discussion about whether the Bible is right or wrong. There's only a discussion about whether or not I'm going to be obedient and how that obedience can be applied in my daily living. I see my role as a pastor, even as a, a leader here in this school, as bringing the whole of the, the, the people that God gives us under the authority of the Word of God so that whatever you say out of the Word of God, people respond to it's not a question of fighting all the way along for the integrity of Scripture. It's a question of stating what the Bible says with clarity and proper interpretation and then discussing how it can be applied in our lives. We are committed to the Word of God. Read Psalm 19. That's a, a kind of a good assignment maybe before you pillow your head tonight to sleep. Read Psalm 19 and read the tremendous testimony of the sufficiency of Scripture. The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul, making wise the simple. 
rejoicing the heart. It has the capability and the promise with it to produce in your life everything God desires and everything and more that you could ever desire. So we are committed to a, a submission spirit to the authority of the Word of God. We never want to do anything that violates the Scripture and anything the Scripture says we want to do with joy. So as we frame our ministries and all our relationships and everything we do, the Word of God is the single greatest authority. Further, the purpose statement says, not only are we to be submitting to the authority of the Scriptures, but nurturing personal holiness. In 2 Corinthians chapter 7, a verse that the Lord has used in my life for many years, Verse 1, having therefore these promises, dearly beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. If we are a worshiping people and we really are in awe of God, then we will have a hunger for holiness in our lives. Now the desire for holiness, I really believe, rises not only out of love for God, but out of fear of God. You have to have a healthy fear. That's, that's part of it. You have to know that if you disobey God, there will be consequences, right? We have to know that. The Lord says, you know, love me with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. But he also says, if you don't, I'm going to wrap you. Basically. Because I'm going to chasten you in order to discipline you unto righteousness and holiness. So we are called then to a life of holiness motivated by our love for him and by a healthy fear of his right to chasten us if we disobey. We need to be drawn to nurturing personal holiness. What does that mean in practicality? That means that we constantly, on a daily basis, work to see the diminishing of the frequency of sin in our lives. The process of spiritual growth is nothing more or less than increasing likeness to Christ, which means decreasing frequency of sinfulness. So daily in all of our lives, we are committed to the setting aside of the sin that so easily besets us so that we can move along that path, that race of faith, looking at Jesus and being more like him as we move ahead. Personal holiness. So much in my heart about that subject, but time doesn't let us say any more than that. Then it says the next line, we not only are committed to submitting to the authority of the scripture, nurturing personal holiness, but serving in the local church. This college is totally committed to the local church. Do you know there's only one institution Jesus ever said he'd build in this age in the world? And that is the church. And he said the gates of Hades, or literally death itself, would not be able to stop that church from being built. The only institution Jesus building is building is the church. We, we cannot be, quote-unquote, parachurch. We cannot be other than the church. We can only be the church. And we are the church as long as we understand the great calling and necessity of ministering through the local body of believers. This college can't function as a local church, but it can be a great assistance, an arm, a congregating place for those who are at work in the church. That means you need to be involved in the ministry of a local church using your spiritual gifts. The Spirit of God has equipped you with speaking gifts or serving gifts, Peter says in 1 Peter 4, 10 and 11. If you have the gift of speaking, then speak as the oracles of God. If you have the gift of serving, some serving capacity, do so as unto the Lord. Whatever your gifts might be, 
They're listed, of course, for us, at least in part, in Romans 12 and 1 Corinthians 12. Whatever it might be that God has gifted you to do, whatever opportunity, whatever ministry is there, you need to be ministering aggressively and actively in the church. Substitute just attending for ministry. Don't even substitute coming here for ministry. You must see an outlet and an opportunity to use the things that God has given you and done for you. Or let me tell you, they will atrophy. You don't use your arm, tie it to your side for a few weeks and you won't be able to use it at all. Leave it there for a few months and it might as well be amputated. You need to use your gifts and talents in ministry, in serving. And of course, the, the human temptation is just to be served, to be served, to be served, to take it all in and never give it out. Several things happen. One, as I mentioned, you will atrophy in terms of your spiritual service capacity. Secondly, the things you are learning will be diminished in their impact and you'll not be able to retain them unless you're giving them away, right? It's true. What you keep, you lose. What you give away, you keep. I've often said this in my own life, the things I preach and teach are the things I remember because they go through me. And if you want to retain what you're getting and you want to keep your skills sharp, you must be involved in ministry. Finally, the last point in our statement is penetrating the world with the truth. And we're right back to where we started, right? That's advancing the kingdom of Christ. It's our hope and prayer that when you are here and when you leave here, God will use you to penetrate the world with the truth of Jesus Christ. Let's bow together in prayer.